From the production studios of Bonsai Acres, this is Up North Bonsai. Hello, my name is David Weiss. This podcast is a chance for me to talk to and learn from Bonsai enthusiasts from all around the Upper Midwest to learn about their secrets to successful Bonsai. We have an ever-increasing number of amazing bonsai professionals or masters who have set up shop most often on or near the coast. Those of us living in the upper Midwest need to adjust what we learn from those professionals to our colder climate. We have a shorter growing season in the upper Midwest and our climate is continually changing. I believe there is a lot we can learn from each other about how to create beautiful bonsai in the North Country. My goal is to help others enhance their bonsai journey in their microclimate. For me, bonsai is all about the journey. I'm a firm believer in lifelong learning and hope this podcast can spread good information to those just getting into the hobby, or in my case, lifestyle. For the purposes of this podcast, the Upper Midwest will consist of bonsai enthusiasts that live in zones 3, 4, and or 5, including my home state of Minnesota, North and South Dakota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, and perhaps a few friends from the Up, Up North in Canada. Join me now as we head up north and talk bonsai. On today's premiere episode of Up North Bonsai, I have the privilege to talk with one of my favorite YouTubers and bonsai enthusiasts, Nigel Saunders from the Bonsai Zone. It's a hobby that you've got to take with a certain degree of seriousness. Uh, I don't think it's a hobby that you can think, well, I think I'll try it out and see if I like it. And if I have success in it, then I'll uh, maybe keep going at it. Welcome to Nigel Saunders, and let's begin with learning about Nigel's microclimate. In Ontario here, it's we have good warm summers and it's very humid because we're near the Great Lakes. Not a lot of rain in the summertime, this year being an exception. Uh, we've had rain like every, at least once a week, and sometimes three or four times in the week. Uh, but normally it's hot and humid in the summer, and then towards... The second week in September, it starts cooling off. Our first day of frost is usually the first week of October, sometimes the second week of October. So then we get winter, snow starts flying usually late November, early December. It usually snows right through till even into April, like we can get a lot of snow. The first frost-free day is usually the end of May and sometimes going right into June. So, you know, the first week of June, it's quite common to get frost. Yeah, so you're, you're doing a lot of protecting of your trees uh, to keep them, you know, out of the frost, especially the tropicals. It's, it's difficult climate to grow tropicals in. My plant room, I have, that's where I overwinter my tropical trees. I have a south-facing window. So when the sun is low in the sky in the winter, I get great light in the, in the plant room. Mm-hmm. But then as spring rolls along, the sun goes higher in the sky and I get almost no light in there at all. So it becomes very dark. So that last kind of month before the trees can go outside is quite difficult to keep the trees healthy. You have to use supplementary lighting and 
Sure. A lot, a lot of the times I'll bring them outside when the temperature goes up and then bring them all back in at night. And I'll do that 30 times in spring. <laughs> Same thing in fall. I'll, I'll bring them all inside for the night, bring them back outside in the daytime, trying to extend them being outside as long as possible. Because once the plants come inside, it's like a prison for them. It doesn't matter how much artificial light you have or how sunny a window you have. It just totally changes. It's like the potential for problems goes up a lot. What's one or two, three, three things that are really positive or good about where you grow bonsai? Or are there? And what are they? <laughs> That's a good question, Dave. <laughs> Not myself many, many, that many times. Um, there's always someone in a worse climate than you. <laughs> and so you have to think positive. I, I talked, I remember I was uh, putting my tropical trees out on their benches permanently for the summer. And I got an email from my friend who's in Alberta. And he says, the, frown, the ground has just thought enough. I can get my trees out of the ground now. And I thought, oh, oh man, that's a short growing season. <laughs> I thought our summers were short, but. It's like people in Minnesota from the Twin Cities up to Duluth, up by Superior there. Yeah. Duluth, their growing season is at least a month less than ours, for yeah. sure. I, I guess the native species work well. Uh, larches, uh, thujas, or eastern white cedars, uh, mm-hmm. some of the native junipers. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of trees that do quite well in the Canadian climate. They do quite well in just a little bit lower too. They do quite well. You can grow like a world-class tree in this, in, in this climate. There's no problem doing that. Another plus I would say, I don't know if it's a plus, but I noticed with the tropicals, uh, because you are in a challenging environment, you become more conscious of the health of the tree, I think. You know, if you live in a tropical environment, they grow like weeds all year round. Not always, but generally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can do anything. Doing You can hack it back and it grows again. And you hack it back again and it grows again. I, I've heard, you know, in the some of these tropical climates, they can defoliate a ficus four times each year. I mean, if you did that here, you'd yeah. end up with a dead tree. So it, it really teaches you, I think, to read the tree, the, the health and vigor of the tree. You know exactly what it's going to do, when it's going to do it. And I think that helps uh, develop the tree. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes if the environment is too good, you, you kind of become lazy and you don't learn as much. Um, I don't know if that's a positive thing, Dave. But <laughs> Well, I, I, I love the answer because I, I would tend to agree that um, of my trees... I, I'm looking at my tropical trees year round because they're in my plant room inside my house in the wintertime and then outside, I get them out as soon as I can, but I'm looking at them. I mean, I look at all my trees every single day, but the ones that are in my cold frames in the wintertime, uh, you know, they're okay. They're in dormancy, blah, blah, yeah. you know? Yeah. You, you, you really, we have a shorter growing season. So we kind of have to be on top of our game. And I would imagine people who can prune, back uh, a ficus three or four or five times a year or defoliate they're taking some of their growth for granted as what you know an underlying thing of what you're saying there maybe is that people may take that for granted and then not pay as close attention to your tree and then you might miss a bug infestation you might miss this or that or oh there's that tree back on the bench i forgot about so i I like that answer Uh, and i think that's taking a positive from the fact that we don't have a lot of a large growing season for sure 
For the Up North Bonsai podcast, I will be breaking down the sessions into the four solstices of the year, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Depending upon the person I talk with, the region they're in, and perhaps the season we're in when we record, we may start at unique solstices in the program. Winter Solstice. We don't want to talk about winter typically in our uh, parts of the world, but uh, well, when do you start winter preparations? And, 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 you know, really, what is winter? What's important to know about winter where you grow bonsai? You have to have somewhere to put your trees in the winter. I bring my temperate trees in first. Um, ones that are, if I had Japanese maples, Japanese black pines, uh, ones that can take down to just below freezing. Yeah. So I bring those into the basement first, which is an unheated basement. The other trees, the hardier trees, I'll keep them out on the benches until usually getting towards the end of December. And then when the temperature gets down to, I don't have a Fahrenheit conversion, but that's uh, all right. About minus 15 Celsius. Yep. Uh, it starts to get into maybe a little higher, maybe minus 17 degrees Celsius. It starts to get in that zone that a tree that's unprotected on a bench could possibly die. And so then I start bringing those into the basement. And so usually for January and February and maybe half of March, they're in the basement in the dark pretty well. There's no real lights down there. And they just sit there. Uh, The basement is about five to 10 degrees Celsius. So it's just about freezing. So I have to go down and water them maybe once every two weeks. And they sit there and then usually about mid-March when the temperature starts dropping down to a more reasonable level, I put them back out on the bench again. If you leave them down in the basement too long, they start leafing out. So Mm -hmm. I try and get them back outside before the buds really start getting too active. So I, I keep a close eye on them in spring. I always go down and check, make sure the larches aren't starting to turn green. And Right. Because it can happen really quickly. So you've got to be down there almost every day in spring and just do a quick check to see if anything's leafing out. And if it is, get it outside right away. And so do uh, any of your trees stay outside year-round? None of your trees do? Uh, I have. Like last winter, we had a mild winter. Uh-huh. Uh, the coldest we got down to was minus 18 degrees Celsius. So all my trees, my hardy trees stayed in the greenhouse outside or on the right. benches. But I did learn, I did learn that a lot of my tropicals like to be kept cool in the winter. Uh, I just had LED lights above them. It was yeah. like around 10 degrees Celsius. And a lot of them just love staying dormant down there. I had no insect problems. I hardly had to water them. They didn't yeah. grow, and it was like the best winter for tropicals ever because usually tropicals could be a nightmare in the winter. You get scale insects, you get aphids, white fly, and it seems like some winters you're just constantly fighting insects, and sometimes you win the battle and sometimes you're losing. And so, and same with watering. I mean, in my plant room, if I get a sunny day, the temperature goes up from you know, like room temperature to really hot just from the sun shining in. And yeah. I have to water like almost twice a day some days oh, in the middle wow. of winter. Yeah. So keeping them cool in the basement was a good discovery that I really, yeah. it, it didn't work for every species, but a 
yeah. lot of the trees that did work really well for them. During one of our Minnesota Bonsai Society, um, we had a speaker talking about wintertime and tropical plants. There's a, there's a fair amount of Minnesotans who want to get into this hobby. And you mentioned earlier, apartment living. And they aren't apartments. And so we have to remind folks that these trees all want to be outside. Yeah. <laughs> these trees will live best and do best outside. Get them out there as much as possible. But it can be done. There's been articles written about junipers that have been indoors their whole life. And yeah. wow, I don't know how that's even possible, but it's been done. One of the theories or the, the discussions on that uh, talk was, yeah, let your tropicals go, quote unquote, dormant. Let, let them chill out and take a break. So can you speak more? So this was kind of your first year last winter of really doing that. And you saw some great re returns on your investment there, it sounds like. I did. I, uh, and I've talked since I you know, posted those videos, I've had a lot of emails and comments from people who do a similar thing where they keep their trees in the basement where it's cool in the winter, put lights above them, and they say they hardly have any problems at all. They just kind of stay dormant till spring and then they go back outside. I found you can do it for most species. Uh, there was a few that didn't like it. Uh, my Kapok trees did not like it. They died. Mm. They can't take any lower than about eight degrees Celsius, I found. My ficus benjamina didn't really like it, but it put up with it. Okay. All my uh, ficus microcarpa loved it. They they could have stayed dormant two months more, I think. They looked as healthy the day I brought them out of the uh, cold storage as the day I put them in. A lot, of, a lot of the species really liked it. My yucca trees, they were happy as a lark in the basement. So dormant again for these more tropical varieties, what's that temperature barrier we're talking about again? You're saying they're getting down to about what? I, um, I would say generally 7 degrees Celsius to about 12 degrees Celsius is the general okay. basement range. Yeah. There was a couple of nights where it dropped down to 5 degrees Celsius. It was the coldest they got. Okay. Okay. And did they seem fine. When I leave nice. my tropicals outside in fall, I always let them go down to just above freezing. So if there's a frost warning, I'll put them in the greenhouse. But if it's going to go below zero, they come inside. But they stay out in fall right till the end. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the care guides and when people talk about ficus, tropicals, what have you, the, the common knowledge seems to be when the nighttime start getting below 50 Fahrenheit, yeah, which is still pretty warm that they, you want to consider maybe bringing them in. But you're saying you go down almost to the frost freezing point before yeah. you really bring them in. So you're talking for, for us, 40s Fahrenheit would still be totally fine at night. Is that what you're yeah. kind of suggesting? At least you've seen success that way? Yeah, I would say... In Fahrenheit, I would leave mine out till 34, 35 degrees Celsius, uh, just above freezing. And what I find is, you know, you've, they've grown all summer, so they're gaining yep. vigor. They're just full, like they're just like a bush. I prune them up. I bring them back inside for the winter. And because it's warmer inside, if I have them in the plant room, uh, they think it's a second spring. So they... Yep. Because they've been dormant outside in fall, they've kind of had those cool temperatures. Oh, they've yeah. kind of gained a lot of energy. You bring them inside, and then they start growing like crazy again yeah. for, for uh, usually November and December. Yeah. And then 
then in uh, January, February, the light starts getting brighter. The days start getting longer and yeah. they start growing again. And uh, so that's it if they're in the plant room. Sure. They kind, of, kind of get two seasons. They get the outdoor season and the indoor season, two summers. Uh, if they go in the plant, if they go in the basement, you know, they're dormant in fall. You just put them in the day, basement. They stay dormant. And a lot of people think, you know, well, you're wasting half the year growing, but you're not. Uh, what happens is when they do go outside in spring, they have two to three times the energy that they would normally have in spring. They just, they just go bonkers. Like yeah. you wouldn't believe how much they explode in growth. Like it, it's tremendous. They've stored up all that energy and they're ready to just push it out. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. yeah. So all, all the plants, they photosynthesis generates starch. And then when the tree's dormant, that starch gets converted to sugar by, uh, I think it's bacteria or something in the cells or something. So when spring comes, their, their sap is very sugary and it yeah. gives them a ton of energy and they just push out like you wouldn't believe. There's an advantage to doing it. I don't think you lose any thing over the year. I think you're just redirecting the growth. Bringing the trees in and out and doing that dance, you know, can we run into trouble by doing that? Is is there a detriment to that, or you know, it's a fine dance and a fine balance? What 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 keeps you doing the every day back and forth, and why do you think it's worth it? The trees do miserably indoors, uh, <laughs> I, I generally. Like, okay. and I notice as soon as you put them outside, they seem to perk up. The first day you put them outside, it's like finally they get sunlight and, you know, not direct sunlight at first, but uh, even in the shade, they just, they get wind on them. They get sunlight. There's natural insects that come and remove the, their problem, insect problems disappear. Sure. So I, I find the benefits, they're good. Like it's worth taking them out, especially if you have a show tree. I don't take every tree outside every day. I just take my better ones that might become show trees. Talk a little bit about watering and pests then. Well, I, I use rainwater in the winter too. I yeah. have a, a standard barrel yeah. that's open. I, I fill it with rainwater in uh, fall. Yeah. And whenever there's a melt in winter, I'll top it up. And yeah. usually I can get through winter without using tap water. Tap water is horrible in our area. <laughs> it's full of lime. It's got chlorine in it. Yeah. And it leaves like a white film on your leaves and the pots and the soil and the roots even. Yeah. Especially bad on the roots. If you if you ever had someone in the club who's just used rainwater in an apartment or something, or not rainwater, tap water, you pull the tree out and all the roots will be coated in this white crust. Yeah. And you think, how can the root get yeah. nutrients and water through that crusty crud on sure. it? Sure. And if you have a small collection, you can buy distilled water. Definitely rainwater is the best. And I just read an article on rainwater, how as the rain's falling through the sky, it oxygenates the water and it gets all these elements in it. And uh, it's just the best thing for plants. We have, had, we have had very little rain in Minnesota this year. We've had some pretty extreme drought conditions. And unlike you, uh, it's been dry and we're not having rain every week at all. And we, we've had hot 90s and we've had over, I think we're pushing 30, to 30 days of 90 or above and we're like way below in rainfall. So 
and and we just got a really nice batch of rain last week. And this guy out that lives east of me, we were talking before about his trees. He noticed within a week how better his trees looked after these two rainfalls just from rain instead of the water from non-rain yeah. source. What a difference. Well, I think a steady rain, it's just bringing fresh air through your soil all the time, like constantly. If you have an eight-hour rain, it's just circulating that water goes through your soil and behind it, it sucks in gases. And yeah. it's just so good for the roots and that it's yeah. and that moisture level and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I do for water in the winter. Pests are only a problem if you keep the trees warm, which I do in my plant room, but I'm going to try and keep it cooler. Yeah. Uh, and I just use soap and water. So I just use the liquid dish soap and I put 40 parts water and one part dish soap and shake it up and then i spray it with a hand sprayer all over the plant and let it sit for a couple of minutes then rinse it off mm -hmm. and other than that like scale sometimes you have to pick the hard scales off by hand sure but other than that if you keep on top of your insects it's never that bad a problem the problem with insects is if you you know that tree has scale on it and you go well tomorrow i'm gonna have time to get to it and then the next day you say, oh, kind of busy tonight. I better get to that tomorrow morning. And then it drags on and then it spreads to the other trees. It gets heavily infested to the point where your tree might die and you finally do something and it might be too late. And also that insects problem spread to your whole room now. So yeah. you've got to be on top of it as soon as you notice any insects. And that's part of inspection too, uh, inspecting your trees every day look for changes, uh, look for health changes and take care right away. Because that's one thing about bonsai is you notice the little changes to the tree. Mm -hmm. You see a little bud develop and you get excited. Oh, it's, it's in the perfect spot. Mm -hmm. uh, a normal person will just laugh. <laughs> I see backbiting on trees in my neighborhood and get excited. Not, not even just my bonsai trees anymore. Yeah. That's how crazy I am. Yeah. And you get to see all those little changes. You get to see flower buds develop. You get to mm -hmm. see fruit set and it's a unique perspective of watching a tree mature. We hit the basics there, but is there anything else in winter that people really should know about bonsai? Pray for a mild winter. <laughs> uh, that's the other thing. Uh, winter always, you think you've got your, everything set. You've got, you know, all your winter storage solutions. Yeah. You're all set. And then you'll get one wicked cold winter and it just changes your whole your whole setup you lose trees and for the longest time in bonsai spring was never exciting for me because you always see you always count you're dead there's always yeah three or four trees every spring that don't make it yeah and i think in, in my 29 years of growing bonsai there was one winter where i didn't lose a single tree wow and that's it i mean every other winter you lose something a little sapling or yeah some tree it's just yeah generally not your better trees it's usually the ones that are sitting in a yogurt container that <laughs> don't get the best of care but <laughs> bones eye on the cheap i love it for sure this last year we did hit another polar vortex we had two weeks of you know for us down to 15 below zero at night uh, yeah. for a week straight week plus 10 days and my cold frame heater went 
to put and I had 24 hours where there's no heat source. So I saw that. <laughs> yeah, that 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 polar vortex beat me up a little bit, but I don't think I've had any major losses. The trees seem to go well. I think one of the keys there and what people reminded me about is well, just remember, Dave, even though it was that cold, the temperature in your cold frame went like this. It didn't go down and shock your trees per se. It was a slow down and who knows what the soil was and where it was in your cold frame. And, you know, yeah, you certainly run the risk of death. But if we can avoid those shocker highs and lows and yeah. have good regulation of, of temps and stuff, we can keep a lot of trees, right? And that's that's another thing about bonsai. If you if you're if you like the technique and a tree does die, well, you've learned the technique on the tree and then you can start again on another tree. You're still enjoying the hobby because you're doing the work and the techniques. Yeah. If bonsai for you is having the finished product or something to display. Then when you lose a tree, it's kind of devastating because you either have to buy another one. And I have the attitude that any one of my trees could be dead tomorrow. So <laughs> I, I try and enjoy each day with them and just kind of keep that in the back right. of my mind that right. just enjoy it while it's there because yeah. it may not be in a few days or something. Spring solstice. What is spring like for you now? And most people are like, oh my gosh, repot, 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 busiest time of the year, maybe with bonsai. What is spring like for you and your microclimate? Well, Winter used to be long for me, but now it's short. And I always think spring comes too early. I've never finished the amount of things I want to do in winter. Spring always seems to come and I'm not ready for it. So <laughs> it's like you're shifting gears. It's like everything starts to happen in spring and yeah. you got to be ready because you never know when the warm weather hits. Sometimes it's, uh, well, March break, we've had some phenomenally warm March breaks, yeah. and then it goes really cold again. Spring can be up and down, and you've got to remember that. You've, you've got to watch the weather. Uh, get your trees out as early as possible. Try and do as much prep work as you can for spring. Um, I try and have all my pruning done on both my hardy trees and my tropical trees, so they can just go outside in the summer and grow. Uh, I try and... I don't get it, but I try and mix my soil up. I have all the ingredients. I yeah. try and sharpen my tools over the winter so they're ready to go for the season. I try and have my fertilizer, you know, everything mm -hmm. in place, everything you can kind of do before spring hits and the repotting season and the pruning season and all that. Uh, you try and do it beforehand. So when mm -hmm. it comes, it's, it's always busy, but when it comes, it's a little less busy. You're a little more organized, I guess. And spring, uh, it always seems long for me because, you know, we can get frost right up to the first, sometimes the second week of June. So I don't consider, you know, spring over until the frost goes away. And pots is another thing. You can get all your pots ready. Yeah. Uh, if you're buying pots, buy them in the winter. Uh, buy lots of pots if you can afford them so you have a choice for different trees sure i'm always trading pots you know one pot tree will get potted up into a bigger pot than the old pot that it was in a new tree will go into that so yeah it's like hand-me-downs i guess with clothing <laughs> <laughs> you're always switching pots from one tree to another and what has been your experience with frost when 
I, I, I remember watching one of your shows once where some, you know, the weather was maybe going to be around that freezing mark and yeah. some of your trees you left out on the benches and that light frost, you might get a little damage on some leaves. So what if, what is, what has been your experience with that for us 32 for you zero, you know, when is like, ah, let's bring it in. Let's not bring it in for your and your yeah. experience. Uh, I think for the native trees, they're used to taking a light frost. I, I yeah. think it's okay to leave those out. You may get a little frost damage on the leaves, but it's not going to kill the tree or anything. Yeah. Uh, it's the non-native ones and the semi-tropical, semi-temperate trees that you need to bring in and protect. So, yeah, yeah I, I think most, you see, like most trees outside, they get some pretty heavy frost on them and the leaves yeah. are fine. You don't have to worry so much about the natives, but anything else you do kind of have to protect. Can we repot too soon and what's too late? I mean, I, I mean, I know some of the things I've heard over the years, but in Minnesota, we'll take their trees out of the cold frame, repot them and put them right back in the cold frame for several weeks. But in your experience, is there too early where it's just disturbing things too early or too late? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on that from your experience? Yeah, I, I think... Um... The ideal time is when the roots are just, just before the roots are starting to get active is the ideal time. So the tree's active, it's starting to, the buds are swelling, mm -hmm. everything's getting ready to go, but the roots haven't grown yet. So that's the best time to repot. Um, a typical tree over the winter, all the fine roots die on them. They just can't survive the winter. So you're kind of left with the basic core root structure and then in spring, it grows all the new fine roots. And that's typically how a tree grows. Um, you'll see that in pine trees that are growing in a pocket of rock. They create their own soil. And that's because all the old roots, the fine roots, die in the uh -huh. winter. They can't take sure. the cold. I, I repot when the trees are becoming active. And it, it depends. The different trees have different times. Like a larch is one of the first ones to start greening up. Okay. So they're usually first, whereas the cedars, the thujas, they're, I usually repot those like towards the end of June. Oh, I wait till they're starting to get green on their growing tips and you can yeah. pull them out of the pot and you can see if they're getting root growth. And usually it's not till almost the end of June that the roots start to grow on those. So if you're not sure, pull the tree out of the pot. And if you see, if the roots are dormant, then, you know, and the trees became is active, then you know it's the perfect time. If the roots aren't dormant, if they're starting to grow all new white root hairs, then you know you're a little late for the repotting. So you got to be more careful. We we tie our all our trees down into the pots. You do not very often at all. Can you can you speak to that experience and why or why not people should do that? Yeah. Have you ever seen an old tree as the roots grow, it starts lifting the tree out of the pot? Yep. Now imagine wires around the roots. And it's lifting out of the pot and what those wires are doing to your root system. I've seen show trees at some pretty famous Japanese shows with horrible wire marks. They're not horrible, but you can see lines going across the roots where the roots were tied down when the tree was younger. Oh. And those scars never went away. Like when a tree's small, you've got the wires around the surface roots holding it in. And then if it leaves wire marks, as that tree grows larger, you can always see those wire marks, I find. Yeah. And it always bothers me. So I, I don't wire my trees in. Instead, I put rocks or stones on the surface of the soil to hold the tree in the pot until the roots fill the pot. And then it, it's not going to tip over or anything. 
Right. And that's my preferred method. And it's just because I don't like the wire marks on the roots. Do you have to be trickier or more careful with watering when you have all those rocks on the top at first? Will water be dispersed to not a very um, flush of water everywhere, but it's kind of in pockets? Do you have to be more careful with that? Or how do you, how do you deal with that? Not really. Um, if you use flat rocks, you'll find you lift the rock up and it's still moist underneath the rock. It okay. stops surface evaporation on the soil too. So if after repotting, if you put flat stones on the surface of the soil, it stops that surface evaporation, holds moisture in the soil longer, and it's better for the tree. Um, it's almost like, you know, putting sphagnum moss across the surface of the soil to hold the moisture in after repotting. Uh, the other thing it can do is when the sun's beating down on the, on the, uh, the pot, it, it kind of deflects, or it, I don't know, yeah. maybe it absorbs the heat of the sun and it doesn't go sure. directly into the soil. Yeah. The soil stays cooler underneath it. So I think it's better for the root system. I, I just think it's a better technique all around. And it's not for everyone, but uh, that's how <laughs> I do it. And I've had good success with it. And I think it's better for the tree in the end. To it's interesting because I never wire my tropicals in. I, I very rarely will wire a tropical in, but I'll wire other things in. So I'm kind of a mix of both, but I've, I've paid close attention to that technique of yours over the years here. And I'm, I, I've seriously, and I've put more rocks on mine to protect them as, as well. And so, uh, yeah, that's good information. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's same with wiring the top of your trees. Uh, yeah. You know, the whole purpose of bonsai is to have this tree that looks like no human has ever touched it, that it just grew into this natural yeah. miniature form. And so whenever I see these spiral wire marks on a tree, it takes me out of, it takes yeah. me back to reality. It shows me, oh, okay, that tree was, that branch is wired in that position. I can see the wire marks. It, it breaks my illusion. It's yeah. like the fourth wall in film. Yep. That, yeah. It's kind of, you know, you're looking at this tree. Oh, it looks beautiful. Just like a tree you'd see in nature. And then you see all these wire marks on it and you go, oh, okay. <laughs> Not quite like a Manipulated. tree. Manipulated. Yeah. yeah. Hey, speaking of wire though, Nigel, in one of your recent uh, episodes, you put some green, some green stuff on one of your trees. Uh, that was the first time I've ever seen you oh, use wire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do occasionally use it and I've used it in the past and did a lot of practice of wiring and I got fairly good at it but I, I never really liked the effect of it after I thought I just found the trees too contrived. It was my version of the tree, not a blend between the tree and my version. I've certainly leaned more clip and grow myself in directional pruning. And I get a lot of that from you. I, I consider you my mentor for uh, clip and grow because uh, um, I, and there are some of my melon seed ficuses that when you look yeah. at a couple of my small melon seeds, they were from cuttings from a workshop. They're small, they're young, but every bend in that branch is from clip and grow. And, and it's been fabulous to see movement. And I didn't touch a wire to that tree. I, I think, Dave, 10 years from now, you'll be really proud of that tree. I think it'll be very unique looking and people will go, how did you get your tree like that? And yeah, and clip and grow. And uh, clip and grow. Yeah, I can see it in those ficuses of yours that they're starting to develop nicely, like thickening up and getting character and well and it's going back to our comments from before it's but i've seen that growth from almost the beginning because they were so small cuttings 
And to yeah. see that growth over time, it's just that that's what warms my heart with Bonsai and gets me just all excited to do more. Yeah. So yeah. Watering, pests, and then I'm going to add fertilizer this time. So watering okay. in the springtime, uh, pest control for you. And then the whole big thing about fertilizing your tree. You, you may know that I fertilize every time I water. I put a small amount of powdered 20, 20, 20. Yep. A little spoon, mix it in with my water and water my trees. My reasoning is if, if you're fertilizing once a week, say you fertilize the tree on Monday and then Tuesday you have a big rainstorm. The tree goes for six days without any fertilizer until you go to the next Monday again. Yeah. And I don't see the point of that, uh, that why not fertilize every day? So you're, it's like hydroponics. I mean, Yep. Tree getting a little bit of nutrients every day. If the tree's starting to grow with too much vigor, you can cut back on your fertilizer. Uh, you can stop fertilizing right away. Sure. It gives you a lot of control. Uh, the reason I don't use organic fertilizer, uh, I've tried it and we get raccoons, uh, squirrels. If I use any organic soil or organic fertilizer, I will get birds squirrels and raccoons digging in my trees yeah without fail so i cannot use i can't use organic soil i can't use organic fertilizer it just attracts everything so people say it's healthier and you get a better tree i haven't noticed any difference my trees seem to grow the same as anyone who uses organic soil or organic fertilizer yeah. I, I can't see growing my trees any faster because I sometimes I have to cut back on my fertilizer. If I notice the inner nodes are getting too long, it's getting too much vigor. I either have to cut back on the fertilizer or prune the tree or something uh, to keep the vigor down. I, I don't think it's a problem using a, a chemical fertilizer. Spring is a funny time for watering because that's when the roots are starting to become active. And when the roots are dormant, you can water the tree. It, you may go four or five days and it doesn't need water because the roots aren't using the water. Then suddenly the roots start to come active. And within a couple of days, it'll start using all that water. So you've got to be out there checking every day. Um, fertilizer. I, I generally don't start fertilizing in spring until kind of the first flush of growth is kind of getting hardened off because they have all that vigor in spring. Generally they have too much vigor. Uh, and you get this big, thick, coarse growth. growth. Right. Yeah, I, I usually start fertilizing after the first flush of growth has hardened off and then fertilize all through the rest of the year, building up strength for getting through the winter. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another thing. Um, a lot of people talking about hardiness of winter. Uh, part of the job of the grower is to get enough strength in that tree to get it through the winter. And you don't get that unless you let the tree gain vigor through the summer. It has to have enough resources and sugars and starches in that sap to get it through the winter. Because a tree with a low, con low concentration of sugar in the sap will freeze and die a lot quicker, uh, one with a high uh, sugar content. We keep maple syrup in the freezer, and it's still a liquid at those temperatures. And it's the same with the tree. Uh, that sap will stay a liquid even in the at coldest temperatures if it has enough sugar in it. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have enough sugar in it, it's like watery. It's more watery and it'll actually damage the cells. So it's important to get all that those starches built up for before 
the winter hits. What about but those pests in the springtime? Do you have problems with those? Uh, well, I get a lot of birds. <laughs> uh, that's my number one pest in springtime, squirrels, birds. I, I don't really get a lot of pests. Um, sometimes you get the odd outbreak of aphids and generally a quick spray of soap and water. I'll get rid of those. Uh, all my insect problems disappear as soon as I bring the trees outside, even scale. Yeah. If you have a tree that's you know got a lot of scale on it, you bring it outside and it's just natural predators seem to keep it under control or get rid of it. I've had those soft flies on my pines. Mm -hmm. uh, those what not yeah uh, yeah european sawfly or something like that yeah uh, kind of creepy looking when you notice them they yeah blend in the tree <laughs> they move <laughs> yeah. and uh I, I in my pine sometimes i get a budworm uh in the candle of the pine i'll notice that the candle's not developing properly mm. i just give the candle a bit of a squeeze and if it's soft i'll break it off and there'll be a little a worm inside eating the inside of the, uh, and usually it doesn't hurt the tree that much. It just kills that candle and then it grows two more around it because sure. the figure's still in the tree. Yeah. Uh, and I always get, you know, one or two candles each year with one of those little bugs in it. And there's not much you can do about all the native pests. I mean, it's, it's part of the ecosystem. Uh, mm -hmm. All you can do is keep your trees strong. I, I don't believe in any, sprays I, I don't use chemical pesticides or anything i uh, i look at the hobby as i want a hobby that doesn't affect my health i don't want to be spraying hazardous chemicals and yeah. like i don't want to die early of cancer because i was spraying my trees every spring and fall or i don't like the hobby enough that it's i'm going to risk my health right for it i'm not going to sacrifice my health for a, for a hobby summer solstice um, in your microclimate, what does your summer entail? What, what do you do in the summertime with your bonsai? Summer is usually a good growing period. Um, a lot of people, like, they talk about a dormant period in the summer where, you know, in the heat, the trees go dormant. We don't really generally get any dormancy in the summer. Our temperatures, like, we might get a couple of weeks of a hot spell where it's at the most... 34 degrees Celsius, which is, I think that's 96 degrees Fahrenheit, somewhere around there, under 100 anyway. Heat can be very bad for bonsai, for the root system. If you always look at uh, why does a tree grow in the ground better than in a pot? I don't know if you've ever noticed that, that a tree in the ground will grow, I would say, five times mm -hmm. better than a tree in a pot. And it's not because of the soil. They've got I've got ones growing in the front garden, which is the worst soil you can possibly imagine. And yet they're really vigorous. They'll grow, you know, higher than me in a couple of weeks. And it's mainly to do with the temperature of the roots, that they have that moderate cool temperature down there. The biggest problem in summer, why they go dormant is because the roots are too warm. Sure. So there's a lot of things you can do to keep your roots cool. Uh, one is you can just water them even though they don't need it. Uh, I, I have that big IBC container full of water. So it's a good moderator. It never gets warm and it never cools down much. It kind of stays at a nice earth kind of temperature. Yeah, in the mid, you know, as your root system starts warming up the pots in the summer, just water them even though they don't need water just to cool the roots down and keep that soil cool. I can remember one year I... Uh, 
I touched the pot and I could hardly touch it because it was so hot. And I yeah. thought, how can the roots survive in that kind of heat? And they don't, they, they'll actually die around the edges of the pot where it's hot. So that's one thing you can do. Uh, taking your trees out of the midday sun, having them in a spot where they're not being beaten on in the middle yeah. of the afternoon mm-hmm. is another good way or shade cloth. Um, you can put tinfoil over the surface of your pot. So instead of that heat getting absorbed by the soil, it reflects it away. That'll keep your root system really nice and cool. Uh, the system with putting stones on the surface of the soil works really well. Another thing is the amount of leaves you have on your tree. Uh, if you've just pruned a tree and it is very sparse, there's only a few leaves, it has trouble cooling the tree. There's no evaporative surfaces on it. So a tree that's full of leaves will be able to keep the tree cooler better than a tree that's sparse. So, and plus the full leaves kind of provide shade for the root system. There's a lot of strategies you can use to combat the heat in the summer and keep your trees growing all through the summer. But, you know, generally here, we don't get those extreme heats, not yet anyway. And uh, the trees grow all summer. I think the first 14 days of June, we had 11 days in the 90s. So in June, we were already uh, July weather like, so when we hit July here into August, yeah, my trees for the most part had, had probably taken a good couple of weeks of like, they're just not pushing much growth, it seems. Yeah. Um, but then some varieties more than others. And again, depending upon if they're in the shade or in the full sun, it certainly makes a difference. Uh, the other disadvantage of our climate is uh, you notice in spring towards the end of, uh, well, usually my tropical trees go out uh, kind of the start of June. Mm-hmm. usually, And the most intense light we get is I think June 21st. Is that solstice? That's the most intense light you'll get just as you bring your trees outside. (laughs) So it's like taking them and putting them in a furnace or something. Right. It's the exact opposite of what you want. You want to put them outside when the sun's kind of low and the days are shorter and then they let you get used to the summer. But yeah, we're the opposite. We're putting them out in the full sun. So you really got to be careful doing that. I think that's a huge message. And I, I know I stress that a lot in my YouTube videos that when I take a tree outside, it's two weeks minimum in the sh- uh, indirect sun shade. Yeah. They're, just, they're getting that fresh air. They're, and again, that indirect sun or shade light is better than any artificial light I have. So they're, exactly. they're loving life. And then we slowly bring them into that sun or you're just going to fry them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I notice in my plant room, if I have my LED lights on and there's a bit of sun coming through the window, I can't even see the light from the LED lights. It's insignificant yeah. compared to the sunlight. You you taught me this, and I should know this from my camera experience, but I love how if you want to show the difference in light is if you got your camera exposed to outdoor light and then you oh, come yeah, inside... Yeah. Yeah. And you have to open up that aperture so much for the light to even be close to equal. You realize in a hurry, these artificial lights are not doing what the sun they, is doing. No, they're not the same, are they? No. Well, it's like when you come in from outside on a really sunny day, you come inside the house and you can hardly see because it's so yeah. dark. So yeah, so for summer, for you, you just keep on and just keep watering and you're letting them grow and it's tropicals, it's temperate trees, it's your hardy trees, everything you just you just let grow all summer. And that's kind of, would you say a lighter time of year for you or are you, are you not pruning anything in the summer? I do prune them if they get too out of control. Um, yeah. I, I let them grow to a limit. I mean, 
Yeah. Once the branches start getting too long, they start drooping, and that's when I would prune it. But sure. uh, generally, summer I find is a enjoyable time for bonsai because you generally don't have pests. Your main job is just watering and fertilizing, which is like walking around looking at your trees, and I really enjoy that. It's yeah. like like a good excuse not to do anything; just enjoy the trees as you're watering each one. Everything in bonsai, when we talk to people at workshops, one of the things we say right in the get-go is when you ask questions about bonsai, the first word that comes out of most of our mouths is, well, that depends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it depends on so many variables. But talk yeah. about defoliation, your experience with either full or partial defoliation in the summertime after those first flush harden off, people defoliate sometimes two or three times a year based on species. <laughs> What's your experience in your <laughs> your uh, microclimate with defoliation or don't you do it at all? Well, the only times I would do full defoliation is if I'm pruning the structure of the tree and it's so full that I can't see the branch structure that I have to remove the leaves in order to make good pruning decisions. Or if the tree's going into a show uh, where I want consistent and healthy looking leaves, like some of the maples by kind of midsummer the leaves are starting to look pretty ratty they're different colors there's blotches yeah. on some yeah. uh some of the edges are being eaten away by insects so if you're going to put that in a fall show there's no way you would leave those summer leaves on if you displayed yeah. it people would just they they wouldn't look at your tree so sure. you would need to do either full defoliation or defoliation in steps you'd maybe strip half the leaves let the new leaves grow in and then remove the other half of the leaves or some, some step process like that. But that's the only times I would totally defoliate either to prune the structure or if it's going in a show and it not a club show, it'd have to be a fairly major show because it is stressful for the tree. It takes a long time to regain that vigor back in the tree. It takes a lot of strength to grow a new set of leaves for a tree. So it leaves that tree very weak for probably a year, maybe longer after. If the tree is becoming too dense, I prefer to use partial defoliation or thinning. Some people have some fancy words for thinning, but uh, <laughs> I won't mention any names, but uh, <laughs> there's, there's some people that have some pretty fancy uh, acronyms and stuff for thinning a tree. Yeah, I, I always grew up calling it thinning. and uh, Thinning works. Yeah. So where you would remove, I remove leaves that are facing in towards the center of the tree, um, leaves that are maybe old leaves, uh, just to thin it out, uh, and keep the tree healthy, get light into those inner branches. And only if the tree becomes looking like a bush where it's become really dense. I find people getting to bonsai, they'll have like a tree in a pot, which has maybe four branches and 10 leaves on it. And they, they have big leaves because the tree wants to grow. So it has these big leaves on it. It's got this energy and the first thing I want to do, can I defoliate to get smaller leaves? And it's like, no, you should leave them on and develop the tree. Mm -hmm. And slowly your tree will get smaller and smaller leaves. But sure, a lot of people think of defoliation as a shortcut to getting small leaves. And I've seen yeah. people defoliate a tree. Well, it worked the first time. I got right. smaller leaves. So I'm going to do it again. And I'll get even smaller leaves and then they'll do it again. And then the tree's dead. And yeah. So. Yeah. Some, some of the stuff I've watched, they do talk about be careful and, you know, maybe you skip a couple of years and then do a defoliation or you do the partial or yeah. So as with everything else and with bonsai in general, we have to be careful. And, and I, and I like how you and, and people often comment too about, 
you know, we work on trees when they're healthy and vigorous and looking good. And what you said very early on today with me is that you, you have to learn to look at your tree and you have to know what your tree um, is saying to you, you know, um, and what, what, what can, can you just look at it and touch it and, and, and know kind of where your tree's at. And once you start to know that, you'll know when to work on your tree most of the time, yeah. I think, with success. Yeah, you work on the tree. Uh, a lot of people describe bonsai as a chess game where the tree makes a move and then you make your move. And then you've got to wait for the tree to make its move before you make your next move again. It, yeah. It's a two-way thing. Uh, you sure. can't keep working on the tree without it reacting and recovering. Some trees also are better at defoliating defoliating than others like uh, a lot of the ficus trees they've kind of evolved to be able to survive a hurricane sometimes in florida and that and the some of the you know the coastal regions yeah. uh, a hurricane will come in and it'll strip all the leaves off the tree which is the tree's best reaction otherwise the wind could tip the tree over so it just instead strips all the leaves off and it defoliates itself and then it grows back in again so yeah a lot of ficus trees can take the defoliation more than a, a tree like a maple or something which yeah. isn't used to those conditions so sure. they've kind of evolved with that uh, survival instinct fall solstice well we've got one more season then we've got fall you had mentioned earlier that we really have to prep our trees so they have all those uh, starches and sugars Yep. store it up over the winter to keep them healthier and keep them alive and not the sap freezing. So how do you prepare your trees in fall? What are you doing in your microclimate for fall? Well, I keep fertilizing right, uh, right as much as I can. Uh, usually in fall, the weather goes cold and it starts to get more rainy. Uh, so I usually don't have to do much watering in fall. So, mm -hmm. But when I do water, I still use fertilizer. Because the tree is still active until it drops its leaves. If it's a deciduous tree, it's still active. So it can take in that uh, fertilizer and use it for photosynthesis. And mm -hmm. um, But generally, the, the watering tapers off in fall. I, uh, November, October, I hardly have to water the trees at all. They just kind of sit there in the cold yeah. <laughs> and get ready for fall. Uh, yeah. this, fall is kind of a scary time for me because... I have to bring all my tropicals inside and somehow I seem to accumulate trees over the summer. <laughs> it, it always happens. Go figure. Sometimes I go to a club meeting and I bring all these cuttings to give away and somehow I end up bringing back more than I took in the first place. <laughs> it's strange. And the other thing is your trees grow larger each summer. So, you know, <laughs> the tree that started off in a little pot is yeah. now in a bigger pot. The canopy was this big and now it's getting even larger and it starts to take up more and more space in your plant room or wherever you keep them over the winter. It's really hard sometimes fitting them all in. <laughs> <laughs> Neither, I don't think you will ever have enough room for your tree. Neither will I. I, I know. I know. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do this uh, fall. I, I'm kind of scared actually. Like all the hardy trees, I just leave them outside. Uh, Mostly, I'll protect my more sensitive ones, as I said, like, you know, mm -hmm. Japanese black pine, Japanese maples, uh, my mm -hmm. Osage orange I bring in. Any ones that are kind of borderline hardy to this zone, I'll bring in early. Uh, the rest will stay out till it starts getting really cold. 
And mm-hmm. if it's a mild winter, they just stay out on the benches all year round or in the greenhouse or somewhere. But fall is, uh, it's a good time of year. I usually do other things in fall. I usually like work on construction on the plant room or something like that, because I'm not really doing much to the trees in fall. They're sure, kind sure. of dormant. Not much happens to them. They just sort of lose their leaves, uh, go dormant. And that's about it. I'm going to put all my tropical trees in the basement this year, in the cold basement, a lot of them. And so all my hardy trees will go in the greenhouse and my old greenhouse for the winter. After completing our discussion of the four solstices, I asked Nigel a couple final questions. One on native trees, and then some words of wisdom to those new bonsai enthusiasts. I wonder what your thoughts are on the whole, maybe there's all these traditional, super popular bonsai trees. You know, when I got into bonsai, the Japanese black pine was king. I don't own, I don't own one and I don't know if I ever will. And I'm going to grow trees that are going to grow really well in Minnesota. So I'm going to try some other varieties. Now you will try anything with a tree, anything in woody substance or a plant and make it into a bonsai. I love that experimental side of you. Do you think we accept native trees enough? Should we accept them more? What are your thoughts on that with bonsai? When you're growing bonsai, I think most people want their tree to look like a bonsai when they first get a bonsai. They want to show people, this is my bonsai. And people say, oh yeah, I saw that in the Karate Kid or something. As you get into the hobby, you want your trees to remind you of something from your life or to give you feeling, uh, to take you away to a special time or place in your life. Or, you know, I went camping up North there and I remember this birch growing on the edge of a rock and you want to feel that feeling again, or you want something that reminds you of that, that experience you had in your life. And I think native trees give you that experience. I, I think that's why I personally aren't drawn towards uh, bonsai that look like bonsai because I can't relate to them. I I find, and maybe it's because I don't live near the mountains or something like that. I'm drawn to the upright trees that I see every day in my life and have seen every day in my life. Again, brings back a feeling in me of being somewhere else in my life. And uh, I think native trees give you that opportunity to take you away to a time and place in your life where you saw a tree similar to that or I think you'll find bonsai all over the world is like that that people grow trees that mean something to them not what they see in a magazine from some other country and native trees I mean they've grown up with the pests in the area Uh, they can survive the climate so they're the natural choice if you want a tree to survive throughout the whole development of the tree What advice would you have for people getting into bonsai about the trees they choose? The funny thing about native trees is that uh, generally you won't find them in nurseries because they're all around you and they're very common and no one wants to buy a native tree. So (laughs) the trees you get from nurseries are usually (laughs) non-natives, which is kind of funny. Uh, I remember uh, my friend out west uh, I was trying to get some Douglas firs and he, he, he said, yeah, you have to dig them up. He says, none of the nurseries sell them. And I said, they don't sell any Douglas firs in the nurseries. He says, no, they're <laughs> everywhere. So, but yeah, I, I think the natives, um, I think, first of all, they mean something to you. They're a common tree in your area. With every bonsai collection, I like to have some native plantings. I think 
it's nice to have a a forest or a scene that represents your neck of the woods. So I know if I went to Japan, I would want to see Japanese style bonsai and Japanese style forests and that if I go to Arizona, I would want to see these fantastic desert bonsai like succulents sure. and stuff. Sure. If I go to Canada, I want to see something like the Canadian Rockies or or some Ontario, Northern Ontario landscape or something like that. So I, I like having a bit of your home in your sure. bonsai, a bit of your natural surroundings because uh, I think that's important. Words of wisdom for the new bonsai enthusiast. Well, I think it's a hobby that you've got to take with a certain degree of seriousness. Uh, I don't think it's a hobby that you can think, well, I think I'll try it out and see if I like it. And if I have success in it, then I'll uh, maybe keep going at it. As Yoda says, do or do not. I think if you're going to do bonsai, do it. you've got to put the effort into it and do it well. Otherwise, you are going to end up with a dead tree. Yeah, take it easy. Just uh, learn. Start simple, free trees. Join a club. Uh, it may seem intimidating at first, but you'll find people in a club, people like me who have hundreds of cuttings they want to give away, you know, things to practice on and things to grow into the future. There's nothing like getting experience from people in your area for your climate zone. You'll eventually find someone in the club that you get along really well with and make a good friend. You know, there's a wide age range in most clubs. It goes from young people to very old people. It doesn't really matter what age you are. You can still get along with all the people because you have a common interest. Like I was just thinking Connor there. I'm twice as old as Connor, yet we still get along great and do things together. And it kind of reminds me like, you know, the kids, they don't want to hang out with their parents because your parents are old and stuff. But here, <laughs> Connor could be my son. I mean, he's... Yeah. And we're hanging out, doing things together. And I think age isn't really a factor in the clubs that, you know, if you're a new member to the club, you'll find someone you get along with. There's They're friendly people. Like we said, you've got to enjoy the process of growing bonsai and watching for those small changes and just enjoying it each day at a time. And you'll really have fun and enjoy bonsai right until you grow old and you'll miss it. When your life ends, you're going to miss your life. It's time well spent and enjoyable. My thanks to Nigel Saunders and the Bonsai Zone. For more information on the Up North Bonsai podcast, check out www.bonsaiacres.com. Also, send emails to bonsaiacres at gmail.com. From the production studios of Bonsai Acres, this is Up North Bonsai. Bonsai.